good morning again. It is good to be with you in the house of the Lord. And I bet you can tell we're starting a new sermon series today, can't you? It's always that time of the year. We always go usually between Mother's Day and Father's Day with a sermon, a series that's kind of based on doing family. And uh, this year's title is um, Fixer Upper. Grab that, of course, off the internet with uh, Chip and Joanna, whom I affectionately call Chip and Dale. Uh, but anyway, and by the way, we have been to Waco. We have been to the Mecca. We have been to the Holy Land. We saw the silos, and Judy bought a T-shirt. I did not buy a T-shirt or a hat. But we have been there. But anyway, so grab that off, fix your upper. And I kind of saw that graphic, you know, do you have the guts? And first I was going to cover that, but I said, no. Because, you know, when you're doing family, you gotta, it takes guts. It takes guts to do family. So I thought that was very, very appropriate. So over these next few weeks, and we're going to grab like way different topics than normal, uh, including like today, balancing act. And hurry sickness. Um, men on Father's Day, we're going to talk about running the race. And so we got different topics this year uh, that we normally deal with. I hope you'll find it very profitable for your life. Well, listen, you know, they say, we talked last week about wisdom, you know, how, how it pays to take, you know, knowledge and personal experience and all those things and use them correctly. And that's called wisdom. Well, over the years, and I've, you know, I've been doing this now for about 35 years, 37 years, somewhere in there, and I've learned, you know, I used to, as a young pastor, I'd always preach to the ladies on Mother's Day. It only took me about 20 years to figure out that probably wasn't a really good idea. And so I started just like, you know, not. And so then, this year, I had this idea with this sermon, I had the idea of, called Balancing Act, How You Balance Life. I had the thought and the idea of, as a mother, how I'm going <laughs> to, now I laugh at it, you know, I was going to teach you how to balance your life. <laughs> and then I valued my own life more than that and changed my mind. I said, y'all, y'all slap me around, you know, beat me up and ate my house. And so, but I was going to tell you, I was going to tell you a real good. I was going to bring Judy up on the stage. We're going to talk about parenting and mother and how you do all that stuff, you know. Truth is, I don't have a clue because... I'm not a mother, and I don't know how you guys do it. I really don't know how you did it. You know, again, with Judy, uh, you understand as life of a pastor, some of you do and some of you don't, but, you know, she was this, this mom that really did a lot of the raising of the kids, and I remember, you know, I was going to school and pastoring, and um, she had a two-year-old and a three-year-old, and I would come home and talk about how tired I was, and again, that was a dangerous thing to do, um, because I did fail to realize just how busy her life was. So anyway, so we decided to drop that idea, but we didn't drop the balancing act idea. What I really realized was is that it's for all of us, and it really is for all of us. And so the story today um, from the Gospel of Luke just happens to be um, about two women, and we have no reason to suspect from what we know in scriptures that they were even married. In fact, they were probably single women. They were sisters, and their brother lived with them, a guy named Lazarus. You might know him from, from being dead and not being dead. Um, that's his claim to fame. And then, so anyway, so these two ladies who were like so totally different, and so uh, we're going to talk about them, but they just happen to be ladies. I really, really want you to hear today that this is not a message to ladies or to moms. It really is for all of us. And so we entitled it The Balancing Act. How do you balance God and worship and life all together because you have to do that. Um, uh, Patty, do we have that first picture of the guy holding the stick? Is that in there? 
Yeah, right there. I know this is, well, it's pretty good size. You can probably see it. But, you know, we're all familiar with people who do this deal and how they, they walk across a tightrope. And actually, by the way, you need to know this guy, what he did that was so famous is he's doing a backflip on the tight wire, and that's why he looks like he's laying down on the wire. They, they caught him in midair, but notice what he's holding. He's holding, holding the balancing pole. And the balancing pole is so important because it helps you keep your balance on the wire. Okay? So that's really important. And what you're going to hear today is, is that that balancing pole is the Lord Jesus Christ. That when God comes into our lives, he instantly helps us balance everything out. But I want you to notice one more thing. If I was to walk up to this guy, like I could walk up to him, and say, Hey, want a cup of coffee? And he would go two things. He'd say, one, I'm kind of busy right now, and two, my hands are full. And the thought being this, that as we bring Christ into our lives, he needs to have, we need to have our hands full with him. You're going to find out, as you do the Christian thing, as you do the God-following thing, is that if your hands are full of something else, they can't be full of Jesus. And we really need Jesus to balance everything out. So we're going to talk about this wonderful plan of salvation, about how we can invite God into our lives and how that happens at the start. But then we have another picture. And this is one that Judy actually thought about uh, for me. And again, if this is large enough, oh, it is. Yeah, you, I keep looking at that screen. This screen's plenty big enough. And you see an old peasant woman, and she has a kind of a yoke across her shoulders. And her job, one of her jobs is, is to bring water home, to bring water back to the house. And here's the deal. When we want to bring Jesus into our lives, that's a great starting point. But we need to talk about this, and this is the second part of the message. How do we do life without ending up with two empty buckets? How do you get home? You know, you've got to be steady on your feet if you're carrying water like this in this show. Because if you're unsteady on your feet, okay, then you're going to end up with two empty buckets when you get to the end of the road. How many of y'all have ever had vertigo before? Anybody? Yeah, there are lots of hands are going up. It's the craziest thing. It really is. I mean, gosh, one day I just woke up and I had it. And I mean, I remember going to work and I just couldn't even hardly walk. It was crazy. And by the way, I learned out that, you know, have you ever heard the saying, you've got rocks in your head? Yeah, you really do. And what happens in your inner ear, these are little rocks about the size of a grain of sand. And they're in this little pocket in your cochlea, I think it is, or cochlea, or, or part of your ear. And there's a sand in there. And when the little sand particles get out of the little pocket, that's when you get vertigo. And your whole world just spins around. And you know what the crazy part is? It's the world isn't spinning. It's all in your head. And when you lose your balance in life, and when you don't have that going on, and it seems like the world is crazy... The best place to start fixing that is not in the outside, but on the inside. The inside. So I really hope this will be a lot of profitable stuff for you today. So go ahead and get your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10. And we start in verse number 38. It's a pretty popular scripture. If you've ever gone to church before, you've probably heard a preacher talk about Mary and Martha. These two sisters who are radically, radically different. Okay? So it all begins with welcome home. Welcome home. Here's what we've got. In Luke 10, 38, okay, and this is the uh, Christian Standard Bible, 
while they were traveling. Now the they is Jesus and the disciples, okay? So Jesus and the guys, okay, are traveling. He enters into a village, which we know from other scriptures is Bethany, and that's where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live, okay? So they're entering into Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So what happens is, again, these they are friends. It's not like they don't know one another. They're friends. In fact, they're really, really good friends. And so Jesus goes to the house of Martha and basically, and I mean this, knocks on the door. Okay, now probably it may have been an open door. It may have had a closed door. But he knocks on the door. And when Martha sees Jesus standing there, she welcomes him into her home. Okay, so I want to talk about three parts of that. And really, I, I, stuck with, I stuck on the sermon sheet with the verbiage home, but I hope you'll understand life, life. So the first thing is this. Welcoming Jesus into your life is the best decision ever. I mean, it's, it's so true. Welcoming Jesus into your life is the best decision ever. Having or trying to do life without God, okay, is like walking a tightrope without the pole. Okay, you might make it through to the end of your life, but life is going to be more difficult and much harder without God in your life. God, I mean, you're going to hear this, it's kind of like a contradiction, it sounds like one. Often we say God complicates our life, but also God simplifies our life. And you're going to see that in just a moment. So my question is to you, or you may be asking, well, how do I bring God into my life? Now, it's really important you understand something. When I say bring God into your life, it is not the church. Okay? It is not religion. It's not looking in the mirror one day, and this happens often. We look in the mirror and go, oh, I need a new me. And so you start something. Maybe you realize you've got a little bit of a tummy, and you're still you know, doing the exercises, and, and you start running, and you start slacking off some of the food, trying to create a new you. Well, well meeting Jesus is not, is not creating a new you by your own power. It's not not going to church and all of a sudden waking one day up and say, oh, I need to start going to church. Um, I, I need to stop doing these bad things and start doing good things. Well, Dwayne, what is meeting Jesus? Well, it's really, it's incredible, yet it's simple. You know, the bottom line is this. The Bible says, okay, that every person's a sinner. And I, I know if you're here every week, you know, oh, Dwayne, we've heard this story before. Well, maybe someone has not. Maybe someone's listening on the radio who has not, not heard it. You know, the Bible says every person has offended God. We all are sinners. And because of that, we are doomed to separation from God. We're doomed. We do life without God here. But if we die without Jesus, without forgiveness, then we spend eternity separated from God in a really bad place called hell. That's just the way it is. That's what it is. So we've all sinned. And the Bible says that the payment for sin is death. In other words, we deserve to be eternally separated from God because we are sinners and we have offended God. But here's the great part. You know, God loves us so much, he didn't want to leave us that way. Because the rest of that verse, Romans 6.23 says that the payment for sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God said, God said someone had to die for your sins, so he sends his, his son Jesus Christ down to earth, and that's Christmas, and, and he, you know, he ends up dying on a Roman cross. It wasn't a plan gone bad. It was the plan from the beginning. It was perfectly orchestrated that he was going to die on a Roman cross, and he did die, and he paid the price for our sins, but here's the cool part. 
He didn't stay dead. I found myself behind that little white pulpit over in the other building underneath the steeple twice this week telling the story because one lady who was 46 years old had died. And one lady was 91 years old and died. And I found myself behind the pulpit talking about this thing called death. And I shared how the great news is that Jesus Christ died, but he resurrected. And because he resurrected, guess what? We can too. We can too. So if we ask Jesus Christ to forgive our sins and we're willing to turn away from our sins to change directions and follow him, if we're willing to do that, he will forgive our sins and one, walk with us through life and two, give us the hope of eternal life in a place called heaven. That's just nothing but good news. I mean, I'm telling you, Jesus is inviting Jesus into your life is the grandest decision of all. Now, I really like Revelation 3.20. I'm going to go ahead and give you the context on it because um, we often use it when we talk about salvation. But the context of Revelation 3.20 is that Jesus finds himself outside the church. Okay? The church is there and the door is locked and closed. And so the Bible says in Revelation 3.20, it says, Look, see, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will eat with him and he with me. And it's a restoration of fellowship. So if you're already a Christ follower, that's a great verse for you. It's a great verse to know that as you do life, be careful not to lock Jesus outside. You really want him on the inside having fellowship with you so he can help you as you do life. But let's be honest. It's a beautiful picture also of salvation. It's a wonderful picture. Listen, God is not in the fourth century business. Okay? The thief breaks in to steal, kill, and destroy. But not Jesus. Jesus, listen, if you're here today and you're black or white, green or yellow, you're rich or poor, and you've got a sin list that would go to the moon, or you would count yourself as a very moral person, here's the truth. Jesus is knocking today. And he's saying this. In spite of what you've done, in spite of the way you've messed your life up, uh, no matter how bad you think you are, how good you think you are, I'm knocking today, just like I knocked on Martha's door that day in Bethany. I'm knocking on the door, and if you will let me come in, if you'll invite me in, I'm going to come into your life. And I'm going to eat with you. That's a sign of great fellowship. And I will be with you. So God wants to be your balancing pole. He wants to help you do life, to do life. But you've got to answer the invitation. And at the end of the sermon today, we're going to have a time of decision. Brother Brent's going to be standing down front. If you want to come down and say, hey, listen, I want to know how I can let Jesus come in my door of my life. How can I hear the knock and open the door so he can come into my life? And we'd be glad to share with you that for certain. But I want to tell you two more things. And they're really important. Not only is it the best decision ever, but welcoming Jesus into your home is the weightiest decision ever. Um, the most serious decision ever. It's a huge thing. Listen, Jesus is not a vending machine you put a quarter in and get a Coke. Jesus said, oh no, I'm in trouble, and I need my marriage fixed, I need this fixed, I need that fixed. So oh, I know what I'll do. I'll ask Jesus to do it. Okay? He's so much more than a fire escape. He's so much more than, than just an escapement. Okay? Jesus is the Son of God, and the decision to follow Him is one that deserves your most serious attention. So I would love for you to trust Jesus today. 
But I want to tell you, it's a very serious decision. You know, Jesus said these words over in Luke chapter 9. You've heard them a lot and you'll continue to hear them a lot. You know, he said to, to everybody, if, if you want to follow me, he says, if you want to follow me, then all you have to do is deny yourself. You need to take up the cross and follow me. You've got to deny what you want. You've got to be willing to take the cross, which is identifying with Jesus. And then you've got to choose to follow. I mean, Jesus, when you ask Jesus in your heart, he's not going to leave you where you are. He's going to lead you into a better life. A better life. But a life that could sometimes be even more difficult. So if you're considering trusting Jesus today, or if you have trusted Jesus today, I want you to understand that either will be a serious decision or it was a serious decision. You know, Jesus said in Luke 14, Which of you, he said, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. In other words, if you're going to build something, you kind of say, okay, do I have financing in place? Do I have my contractor in place? Do we have the materials in place? And Jesus is really saying, if you want to follow me, then you've got to count the cost. He goes, he doesn't want you to interest foolishly and say, well, you know, just make this huge decision without knowing. He wants you to understand the cost that is involved. He goes on and says in verse 29, otherwise, uh, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying this man started to build and wasn't able to finish it. So I want you to understand it's a very serious decision to follow Jesus Christ. Is it worth it? Oh, yes. For me, it was 1975. So I've got a few miles with, with Jesus under my belt. And I just want to tell you, it was the best decision I ever made. The best decision I ever made. And last week, come to this part of the sermon, we come to this, you know, it will both complicate and simplify your life. Welcoming Jesus in your life will complicate it, but also simplify it. You know, following Jesus, again, because it's such a serious decision, you need to understand there's risk. There's risk. There are people, by the way, whether you're trusting Jesus today for the first time or where you're choosing to trust Jesus with a balance in your life, people aren't going to understand. People who have not made this decision will mock you. And if you're trying to make the decision to follow Christ more closely, your family's not going to understand. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? And they're Christ followers. They just don't have the balance like you want in your life. So there's complicated risk when you follow Jesus Christ. But not only that, not only that, you know, there's demands of Christ. There are demands of Christ. You know, the Christian life does have its demands. You know, again, there's going to be changes in your calendar. There might be changes in your finances. There's going to be changes in how you devote and use your life. So understand it will complicate your life in that sense, but it simplifies your life. Now look at it. This is what simplifies life. When you receive Jesus Christ as Savior and the Holy Spirit lives within you and you have this really good road map, it just simplifies life. you got questions about being a parent, God's got answers. you got questions about finances, God has answers. you got, you got questions about time management, God has answers. you got, you got questions about how to be a better husband, God has answers. you have questions about your career, God has answers. And so the book... The, the Holy Bible that has stood the test of time will help you, will help you 
and simplify your life. How many times have you found yourself in decisions of life going, should I, what should I do, what should I do? I think about our college students, what should I do, what should I do? And again, as you seek God's will and read his book and apply his book, it simplifies your life. Now, I I put a slide in today, and I want you, again, to really make sure you understand. See, Jesus wants to be more than an addition to your calendar. Jesus wants to be more than just an addition to your calendar. Can we be honest? Your calendar's full enough. I know some of you very well, and you're gone five nights a week. You're working 60 hours a week. Your calendar is full enough. But here's the news I want you to understand. You know, in Africa, when we go to Africa, we got to make sure we're very careful when we ask these people, do they want to ask Jesus into their heart? They got to understand that he is not just another God added to their list. God is exclusive. And so we make sure they understand that if you want to walk the Jesus road, it means all other roads must go. Okay, so here's what I'm trying to tell you is that Jesus wants to be more than just an addition to your calendar. You've got to be willing probably to clean off some of your calendar, okay, to make room for him. You're going to have to. If not, if you don't do that, you're going to go nuts. You're going to go nuts. An already full calendar has many more demands than it had. You know, if I had a glass here today and it was filled with water and I wanted to fill it full of Kool-Aid... What's going to have to happen? I'm going to have to empty the glass to make room for the Kool-Aid. Well, listen, I'm going to be very blunt. You need to do this. If you try to do life the way the world does and then add all that Jesus on top of it, you are going to drown. You are going to drown. You have got to make sure you understand Jesus is not just an addition to your calendar. He's not part of your life. He becomes your life. He becomes your life. And that's the process of Christianity. That's the process of being a follower of Christ. Okay? If you want to follow Christ, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross and follow him. And you're saying, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And yes, 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 it is. Not only, A, one day I'm going to die and go to heaven. Woohoo! That's a good gig. Okay? But secondly is, I've got this incredible best friend named Jesus Christ. I've got part of God, the Holy Spirit, living within me, and I've got a Father who loves me incredibly as I do life here. I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So yes, it will complicate your life, and many ways it will simplify your life, but you've got to know this, receiving Jesus Christ is the best decision ever. And in a practical physical way. That day, Jesus knocked on Martha's door, and I believe she already knew Jesus, but in a practical way, in a physical way, he knocked on her one day, her house one day, and she said, come on in. And today, maybe that's something you need to do as as a person that you want to follow Jesus Christ today for the very first time. He's knocking. You need to say, come on in. And some of you need to unlock the door of your heart again. Not that you need to be resaved, but you need to open your heart again and understand that Jesus wants to be a more intimate part of your life. That's part number one. Okay? That's part. Huge, important part. Martha welcomes Jesus into her home or into her life. And then things get kind of crazy. Here's what happens. 
In Luke 10, 39 and 40, the first part, okay, um, Martha, she, Martha had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So we have two sisters here, okay? And we can tell instantly that they are very different because they are responding very differently. One of them, Mary, we find sitting at the feet of Jesus, and we find Martha, who in the words of the Scripture, was distracted by her many tasks. Totally different things. Now keep in mind... Jesus did not force entry his way into Martha's house. And apparently Martha, by the way, was the older. It's her house. So Jesus did not force her way. He knocked on the door his way. He knocked on the door and said, and Martha said, come on in. But here's what we find out. When, now watch. When Martha invited Jesus in, she seats him in the living room, and then she totally ignores him by going to the kitchen. May I say to you today, we've got to be careful of that very same thing. We must not invite Jesus into our lives and then go about our lives doing different things, totally ignoring Jesus. We don't invite Jesus into our lives to be ignored. We invite Jesus into our lives to fellowship him, to serve him, and to love him. So what about these two sisters? Well, there's one in balance, and there's one out of balance. And there's true in this room. There are believers who are in balance, and there are believers who are out of balance. And I will tell you right now, I came to a strong conclusion studying for this last night and this morning particularly, and I concluded myself that I'm a boy Martha. I'm a, I'm a man Martha. I am like so out of balance in my life. For 35 years, I spent way too much time, time trying to uh, please people and failing to please God. I have to confess to you today, I spent way too much time trying to keep my job rather than doing my job. And it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous thing. So really, we need to talk about three women today and not just two. The first one we're going to talk to talk about is, I had to come up with a name. Fairy Mary. Yeah, well, hello. Fairy Mary. And the reason I call her Fairy Mary is because she doesn't exist. Okay? Look, look at the scripture again. And the, the CSB really makes this clear. Okay? Now, I'm going to intentionally misread the scripture. See if you catch it. She, Martha, she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. Did you miss? Did you go to that left out? There's a key word there that CSB puts in that really helps make this clear. Okay? So this kind of, this fairy Mary is saying, Oh, all I want to do is sit at the feet of Jesus. All I, y'all, y'all give money, I'm going to sit at the feet of Jesus. Y'all, y'all keep the nursery because all I'm going to do is sit at the feet of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, y'all choir members, y'all sing to me because all I want to do is sit at the feet of Jesus. The idea and concept of a Mary who does not serve is a falsehood of, of the Word of God. It is not true. God does call you to worship, but God calls every believer to serve. 
God wants you to worship Him, but God wants every believer to serve. So if you're one of those folks who sit there and go, my job is to come and sit and just worship Jesus, enjoy all this, but you're living in a world that's not true. The Christian, every Christian is called to worship. Every Christian is called to serve. Just as much as Martha is out of balance, so the fairy Mary is out of balance. It's a falsehood. It does not exist. And yet, it's a proven fact that 90% of the work is done by 10% of the people. I'm not just pulling that out of my head. It's a proven fact. In fact, many, many studies show now that it's more, it's like 93, 7%. Oh, 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 and by the way, 90% of the money is given by 10% of the people. Hey, you fairy Marys, it's time to step up and do and serve because that's what God wants you to do. Now, then there's real Mary, the one that's mentioned in Scripture. Here's the biblical Mary, and I missed this. I read it. I said, what does that mean? I read it, and finally old Wearsby made it pretty clear for me. And then when I showed Judy, she said, well, yeah, that's what that means. You know, this is what it says. Now, again... It's not in, I don't think, I didn't see another translation that helped us by putting this word in there. But the intent is there perfectly. Perfectly. Here's what it says again. Here's the biblical Mary. She, Martha, she had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. That word also brings in a whole new dimension. And it says this, along with sitting at the feet of Jesus, Mary had worked in the kitchen. Before she was sitting at the feet of Jesus, she spent her time working in the kitchen. Do you see it? Let me read it to you again. She had a sister named Mary who also, who additionally sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. I mean, I'm not making this up, not trying to make a point that doesn't exist. It's there. Mary had that balanced approach. Mary served, and Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. Mary served, and Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. That is the biblical approach that God wants every one of his children to have. That we have got to find that balance, and Jesus will help you. We're going to help keep the buckets level so we don't end up in life with two empty buckets. Okay, We're going to serve Jesus, and we're going to worship Jesus. That is the balanced approach. Now, here's the deal. You say, well, Dwayne, how much did Mary do? I think enough. Enough. There is a point, okay, and, and again, I'm not a, I can't cook. I rarely wash dishes, to be honest with you. Um, I just don't do a lot of the kitchen stuff. And, and probably the people that visit me, including my wife, is probably grateful. I'm the guy who made baked beans and put green beans in it. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it just didn't work. Okay? So, so here's the deal. Mary went in, and Martha, the way she's wired, goes off. I mean, she goes off. I mean, it's not enough to serve the guest a meal, which is appropriate, she had to make sure the napkins matched, the silverware matched, the plates matched. She had to have make sure that she had a, a, a d'oeuvre. She had to make sure we had soup and salad. Had to make sure we had the main course and then dessert. I mean, she was over the top serving, okay? And Mary did her part by preparing part of the meal. 
But she found that balance and said, I've done this, and that was enough. Now it's time to go sit at the feet of Jesus. We, we need that in church today. Okay? Because the alternative is Martha. The alternative is Martha. Look at Martha. Martha was distracted by her many tasks. There are people, if you're, and I am wired this way. I am wired, and I am not alone in this room. There are people that somehow think doing equals intimacy. That the more we do, the more intimate we are with Jesus. All we've got is do, 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 and that equals intimacy with Jesus. It does not. It does not. All the tasks that we Marthas like to do can never replace prayer and quiet time and intimacy with Jesus. So what's happening now, here's Martha, and she's in there, and she is, to her credit, she's going above and beyond, but at the cost of being intimate with Jesus. She's going above and beyond at the cost of not having time, like Mary, to sit at the feet of Jesus. And notice what it says, she was distracted. You know, have you ever, have you ever been to a ballpark, and they're waiting for a certain player, and, and they start chanting, Billy, Billy, Joe, 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 demand. Listen, there are, listen to me, listen to me. If you are a Christ follower today, and if you've got Martha tendencies, you need to understand there's a thousand and one things that will chant your name to keep you away from the feet of Jesus. And they will seem so right. If I don't do it, it won't get done. I've got to do. I've got to, and sometimes it's all twisted and tied into your performance. That the more I do, the more God loves you. That's a lie from hell. God loves you perfectly. God loves you perfectly. So she was distracted as a thousand and one things in the kitchen. All of them seemed good to her. All of them seemed good to her. And they all chanted her name and her many tasks were about to drown her. How crazy is that? I have seen, I have experienced, maybe I'm experiencing some of it now still after all these years, of the do factor. The do, 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 do. And you end up like, like a fireplace full of ashes because all the wood is burned up. All the wood is burned. Like I said, the man's of Christ are heavy. If you try to do the demands of Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit, you will burn out and you'll burn up and you'll burn up. And one day you'll ask yourself, why am I even doing this for? Why am I even doing this for? So Psalm 139, 14 says this, simple truth. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous. And I know this very well. If you're wired... To be a Martha, God bless you, that's awesome. Excuse me, a Mary, God bless you, that's awesome. Particularly if it's a balanced Mary, that's wonderful. If you've got the bent, though, of being that doer, and we're wired that way sometimes, just be careful and be aware of that to make sure you keep your life in balance. Because if not, you'll be tired, you'll be worn out, and you'll lose your joy of service. All right? You'll do that. All right, then we move to... <laughs> And you, if you look at the sermon sheet, you go, what is this? Dwayne, what have you got now? You know, one is the loneliest number. You know, thank you, three dog night. Thank you, three dog night. 
One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Two can be as bad as one, but the number one is the only one. Number one. I didn't write all the words down. Thank you, Three Dog Night. So Judy said, <laughs> I've been her a lot. I was seeking her counsel. What does that mean? Well, what it means is this, is we see now in the second part of verse 40, we see Martha feeling all alone. Okay? Now, when you're the only one, when you really are the only one, that's a lonely number. But you see what the song said? Two can be as bad as one. You know what drove Martha nuts? It wasn't that she was the only one in the kitchen. It's that Mary wasn't there with her. That two can be as bad as one. You know, if Martha didn't have a sister, she'd say, this falls to me. But she's going, excuse me, and why am I working in the kitchen like this? And where is my blankety-blank sister? That's what she's thinking. Hmm. Let's see what the Bible says. She came up and asked the Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Have you ever thought that before? Now I thought about I thought about Mark four thirty eight. See Martha's drowning. Her her many works are distracting her. She is. Anyone here feel like you're drowning sometimes? When you throw in all the world's demands and all the church's demands and you know, all that stuff, and you just feel like you're drowning. Well, that's Martha. Welcome to Martha's world. Welcome to Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> had nothing to do with the message. But anyway, all right, so here's Martha. Okay, and I thought about Mark 4, 38. They run back to the back of the boat. Remember, they're in the boat. They run back and wake Jesus up and say, don't you care that we're about to drown? Well, that's what Martha does. She runs to Jesus and says, don't you care that I'm about to drown? And the answer, she thought, was her sister. If only her sister was in the kitchen, she wouldn't be drowning. The problem wasn't Mary. The problem was Martha. You came up and Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me alone? You know, Elijah felt the same way. You know, he's out in the middle of nowhere, and, and God says, and he goes, Elijah, what are you doing here? He goes, well, let me tell you, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They torn down your altars. They killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they're looking for my life to kill me. Why'd you, why'd you felt Martha? I'm the only one. If I don't keep the nursery, if, if I don't give, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't, I'm about to triumph. About to drown. Two answers for you. Matt Oshel taught Sunday or Wednesday night at Baccalaureate. And I leaned over to you and I said, This is part of the message. And just a brief part. This is not an attempt to preach Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Two points. Here are two big helps. My race. My race. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Let's lay aside every hindrance in the sin, and this is all a sermon itself, that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. So what will help you when you're feeling about to drown and your sister's not in the kitchen with you? Just remember this. God has a race for you to run. 
run your race. However God has wired you and made you, just make sure, just make sure that you are running your race. Don't look at Mary and go, I want her race. Don't look at Joe and say, I want his race. Don't look at the pastor across town. I want his church. Don't look at God. I want that position. Run the race that God has given you. And secondly, this. My eyes. My eyes. Hebrews 12, 2. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Don't put your eyes on Mary. Don't put your eyes on Joe. Don't put your eyes on Susie. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, I remember when Peter was out on the water, you know, in Matthew 14, you know, he gets out, of the, he's walking on water with Jesus. You know, Jesus said, come, and he did. And he's walking, and, and then all of a sudden he looks around at what? He stops looking at Jesus and looks at the waves. And what happens? He starts to go under. When we do life and we put our eyes on other people, we're going to go under. The reason so many of us struggle is because we get our eyes on Jesus, off of Jesus. So get your eyes on Jesus and run your race. All right, got four minutes. Weary worship. Weary worship. This is Jesus' answer um, to, to Martha. I, I, know, I know what she wanted to hear. Oh, you're absolutely right. Mary, would you please get up and go into the kitchen? How could you dare sit at my feet when your sister's working? That is not the answer Martha gives. The Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Remember that? Remember back, back in verse number, what was it, verse number 40? That she was distracted by what? Many things. Many things. And Jesus says, you are worried and upset about many things. When we are drowning in our stuff called life, okay, we get distracted, we get worried, and we get upset by our many things. And that's why so many of us don't have joy. It's because it's the many things. You know, David Higgs shared a quote with me one day that Matt Oshel also used on Wednesday night. It's from a guy named John Owen. I think they say he's an old Puritan. I'm not sure what that means, but he was an old Puritan. And here's what David told me that day, and here's what Matt said Wednesday night. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Well, that will stand by itself. Because worry and not trusting Jesus is nothing more than sin. So you've got to be killing that or it'll be killing you. But with reference to, reference to John, I'm going to twist it up just a little bit since it's not scripture. You know, be killing many things or many things will be killing you. Be killing many things or many things will kill you. When you flood your life, with everything but Jesus, it will kill you. Not physically. But your joy will be gone. Your peace will be gone. Your sense of purpose will be gone. Be killing many things. Or it'll be killing you. Over on John Piper's site, I grabbed a hold of this. And again, he uses the word sin. Sin always overpromises 
and under delivers. Sin always overpromises and under delivers. Many things overpromise and under deliver. We just think so many of us find our self worth by doing as much as we can do. We become, in our mind, irreplaceable. We, 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 we find that self-worth and they can't do without me. I've got to be valuable. May I help you? In the eyes of God, you are valuable already. You're, you're, God doesn't smile on you more because you do more than you should be doing. You've got it. You've got his love. You've got his affection. You don't have to earn it by doing, doing, doing. And you know what? So, and I'm still learning this, so I'm, I'm probably being hypocritical by even saying this. If, you don't, if it don't get done, it don't get done. Sometimes things just have to be let go. If you don't get done, it won't get done. So, so she's saying you're distracted by these many things. And here's what he said in verse 42. But one thing is necessary. How many? One thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. If you're asking me to take away Mary's blessing, then I'm not going to do it. She's One thing is necessary, and she's chosen, and I'm not going to take it away from her. Keep in mind, that's not fairy Mary he's talking about. That's the biblical Mary that had done her part in the kitchen, and then went and sat at the feet of Jesus. All of us have a responsibility to do our part. As members of the family of God, we all have responsibilities to do our part. Okay? But we must never forsake sitting at the feet of Jesus. Moms and dads, your biggest thing is make sure you've got time for Jesus. I mean, I know your calendars. I know your calendars. You've got to find time to sit at the feet of Jesus. You got time, find time to make sure your kids can sit at the feet of Jesus. Don't, don't fall into Fairy Mary and don't fall into Martha. This one thing matters, and it's the balance of service and worship. Service and worship. Now, we won't have time. We're done. But on the sermon sheet, it references, I believe, and also if you've got the app open today, it's on there. And it's Matthew 6, 31 through 34, but it's the message. Now, again, David told me one thing I really thought, because I, I try to explain that the message is a paraphrase. A guy read the Bible, and this is what it means to me. But I love what he said. It's a poetic interpretation. Poetic interpretation. So there's value in it, but again, understand it's not a word-for-word translation of the Word of God. But I really want to encourage you, when you get home today, to read Matthew 6, 31 through 34 in the message, because it's very, very very, very powerful. And I'll simply close with this. Romans 12, 1. My brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, in view of what God has done for you, um, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your true worship. When we present ourselves in this thing called life to God, it becomes our true worship. It becomes our spiritual worship. Was And I'll be put it. You know, balance is hard. I am very glad I'm 65. I know uh, Brent and Tracy, for the first time, are facing empty nest. Well, here's what I think about empty nest. (laughs) 
I'm glad they live at their own houses and they can come and go when they want to. And those blessed little grandchildren, I love them to death. They get to go home too. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay? It, it's, it's, you know, all the different things. Life is difficult. It's hard. Okay? But the balancing pole is Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. It's his word. And again, if you've got your hands full of stuff, you can't hold the pole. So you're going to have to empty your hand hold, so you can hold the pole of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. Let's pray. Well, Father, I sure hope this was helpful today. Father, I see particularly the young families, and they're just overwhelmed. And it's not just them. It's, it's the middle-aged folks, and often it's our senior adult lives. Father, we just get overwhelmed. We, we literally feel like we're drowning. And you've got something far better for us. So I want to pray, Father, first for the fairy Mary. Lord, if we're here today and we think it's somebody else's responsibility, I pray that you'll take that out of our hearts. And may we understand, Father, that we all have responsibilities to serve and to do life together. Father, for the Marthas, both boys and girls, both men and women, Father, help us, help us to understand that doing never replaces relationship. That we've got to maintain our time at the feet of Jesus. Help us to be like Mary, who found that wonderful balance of service and worship. And God, I know that is one of the keys to the abundant life. And Father, there's a friend here today who's never trusted Jesus. And I tried to make that very clear at the beginning. My friend Brent will be here. I want to pray, Father, you'll give them the courage to step out and say, I want this Jesus. I want the balance that Brother Dwayne talked about in my life and, and the hope of eternity. So have your will and way, Jesus. We pray in your precious name.